you're listening to the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. All right. I'm going to teach you guys a Hebrew word. I want you to say it with me. Mishpocha. That means family. And I really feel a part of this family. I've been going to this church for about probably 17 years, every year now and then. And this is my best time of year for evangelism. Why? Because Jewish people are thinking about spiritual things. This September 13th is Rosh Hashanah. And in rabbinical tradition, God opens up a Barnes and Nobles. He does. Three books are opened up. One for the righteous, one for the wicked, and the third book is you and I. We're in between. We don't know. And they blow the shofar, and it's a time of repentance. And these next ten days, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, are called the ten days of awe. Jewish people are on their best behavior during those ten days. <laughs> buy a car, buy a home from a Jewish person. They're not going to cheat you. From Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Uh, I had a woman come up to me. She said, thank you, Mr. Savitt. You have solved a lifelong mystery. I said, what's that? She said, my Jewish neighbor, Mrs. Goldberg, every year would knock on our door in, in the fall time. And she would say, can I talk to your parents? Parents would come to the door. Mrs. Goldberg would say, did I do anything to offend you this year? And if so, how can I make it right? Jewish people think for 10 days they can act right and God doesn't see the rest of the year, you know? But here's a fact. Do you know that more charity is given by Jewish people from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, those 10 days, than all the rest of the entire year? You see, the mindset is this. If I write a very generous check to the Jewish United Fund or the March of Dimes, whatever charity, that that's going to get me from book number three to book number one. I don't think Jewish people have been reading Isaiah 64, verse 6 lately. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags unto the Lord. There is nothing they can do to merit salvation. So after this, Yom Kippur... And I'm not going to talk about that or Rosh Hashanah. You have to ask me to come back, Pastor Denville. That's a whole other topic. But five days later is this holiday called the Feast of Tabernacle. And this, uh, Jewish people are really open. I just want to share with you a really interesting thing that happened to me. Uh, about a month ago, this lady I've been saying for years, let me know if I can help you witness to your Jewish friend. Sometimes that's just like saying to somebody, let's do lunch. And you never do it, Right. But she called me a month ago. She says, I go to this Boynton Beach um, Rehabilitation Center for older people. Could you come speak? And I'm in my flesh, I'm like, well, I can't take up an offering. How, you know? But I, unto the Lord, I went there. I was nervous that they would all be out of it and sleeping. They kind of were. <laughs> but the moment I preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell. These people suddenly were awake. They were listening. Two, Jew, two, two, two patients say, I'm Jewish. Nobody knew that. 
I even, the Holy Spirit even broke up a poker game in the back. People were walking in the hallways after visiting their relatives and they stopped and listened. One lady said, if you could prove to me Jesus is the Messiah, I'll believe in him. So I went to visit her next couple weeks. And then she introduced me to all of her Jewish friends. This is the rabbi that loves Jesus. <laughs> she said, you know what? I would love to have a Yom Kippur service, but the rabbis don't come to visit us. So this September 23rd, I'm going to share a Yom Kippur service with 40 or 50 unsaved Jewish people. So, you know, it's, I'm not doing, it's all the Lord. But anyways, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start with Leviticus 23. And does Pastor Denville ever preach out of Leviticus? No, no, you know, most people, oh, okay. (laughs) Anyways, this is, mostly this whole chapter might really put you to sleep. If you can't sleep one night, I'm seriously, it's very hard to stay awake. But Leviticus 23 is a great chapter. Because it's all on the feast of the Lord. So let's read this all together, okay, from the top of the screen. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you gather the crops of the land, celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. The first day is a Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees... And rejoice before the Lord for seven days. If you guys want a mnemonic device to remember this holiday, think of two R's. Think of a railroad. Okay? R-R. God wants us to remember and God wants us to rejoice. Wants us to remember. And you know, when we think of the word feast, I think of Golden Corral, you know, or Thanksgiving or something like that. But you know, the Hebrew word for feast is moed. Can you say that? It's not a meal. It's an appointed time. Every year, God wanted the Jewish people to stop, rest, reflect, build booths, and remember what God did to them. The Lord gave me an object lesson on moed, appointed time, and I had to learn it the hard way. Do you guys ever have to go on your spouse's family reunion? I did. Denise... We've been married for 24 years, but as long as I can remember, the first Sunday in August, we would schlep from Bloomington, Illinois to Galesburg, about a two-hour drive. We would sit in the heat. I'd be sweating, eating fried chicken. But something interesting happened. After the meal, they all got out picture albums. They told stories. They reflected This person's no longer with us. This person's in California. This person got killed in Vietnam. They were remembering every year. It's an appointed time. And in this Feast of Booths, God wants us to build temporary, vulnerable, but it provides protection in the desert for 40 years. And this is actual kind of what maybe a sukkah, that's booth in Hebrew. And this is... The Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Shalosh Regalim. Say that with me. That's the three Jewish holidays that, guys, if you're 20 years old, you got to schlep up to Jerusalem. Passover, Shavuot, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacle. Why am I telling you this? Jesus teaches on the Feast of Tabernacle. 
the temple will be standing room only. Keep that in mind when we talk about this. Now, all of these holidays, it's interesting, they're around agrarian holiday. We can't relate to that. I mean, 90% of the occupations were in farming. We're so diverse, but if everything had to do with farming, if we did not have food, that's a disaster. We're going to die. Nowadays, we just go to Publix, Winn-Dixie, we swipe our debit card, voila! We have groceries for two weeks. Not so 2,000 years ago. You had to daily rely upon the Lord. Now, this temporary dwelling place is usually made of wood, tubing, branches, two-by-fours. And this September 27th through uh, October 4th, 4th, okay, do you guys have any Jewish neighbors? Take a peek in their backyard. If they're Jewish and they're religious, they're going to be celebrating this. They're going to have a booth in their backyard. And this is pretty accurate. It's made with two-by-fours. The rabbis say you can make it out of two-by-fours, plastic, anything you want. But here's something what the Jewish people do. My family never did this. But since the Ark of the Covenant, all right, you guys, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what I'm talking about. It's that box where God hovered. It was in a tent. It was in a tabernacle. Since it was in a tabernacle, the rabbis say, the more beautiful that you decorate the sukkah or the booth, the better you please God. I knew some kids in Hebrew school. They put up wallpaper. They brought out their dining room sets. They had stereo sets. They had couches because it was a blessing unto the Lord. Um, But anyways, my Jewish people wandered for 40 years with booths like these. I'm sure they were kind of flimsy. I'm sure they would sway, but they protected the Jewish people. And God provided for the Jewish people for 40 years. Now, 40 years we were in desert, and I have a theory. This is why I hate camping. Uh, You know, seriously, we were in the desert for 40 years. For me, camping is like, you know, going to a hotel without air conditioning. That's camping for me. But my people were literally in the desert. And how did God provide for the Jewish people? God provided despite them constantly kvetching. You guys know that word. That means to complain. We're hungry. We have nothing to drink. Why did you bring us out here to die? And I, and I want to just slap them. <laughs> Didn't you see that he opened up the Red Sea? Didn't see, see he brought ten powerful plagues? He brought a prophet unto Moses. But God shows his grace and provision. How did they eat out there? Arabies, what, you know, Wendy's? I mean, even though they had a plunder of livestock, how long is that going to last for two million people? We have a good God, and he gave us a new food group. (laughs) It's called manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? We actually don't know. I like to think that it was granola bars, but it says it was like a honey coriander seed, And God gave us enough of this early in the morning. And the thing is, you had to get up early in the morning to gather this. Couldn't sleep in that morning. Because that manna would turn to maggots. And you don't want to eat manna and maggots. And 
you could not, you only gathered enough for the day. And this reminds me that I know some people have early morning devotions. And I just wonder if there's a connection between first thing in the morning. I'm not saying to do this. My wife would say, I don't get up early and study the Bible. But some pe- early, first thing. The Jewish people, first thing. They had to gather in this bread from heaven. Guys, this is an object lesson on our spiritual walk with Christ. We daily need to feed on him. The Jewish people couldn't stockpile that manna. It would spoil. I, you can't go to Pastor Denville and said, I read the Bible five hours. I'm good for the next month. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said something very interesting about manna. John 6, verse 46, verse 50, it says, Jesus said, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Listen to this. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Ever, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I don't know about you, but I want door number two. I want this everlasting bread. Even though I love eating bread, I'm sure you do too. Um, how did Jewish people survive without water? I mean, did they have Culligan trucks out there? Zephyrel? I mean, where did, did they get bottled water? Think about that. They're in a desert for 40 years. How did 2 million people drink? I have a theory. I believe it's true. You tell me what you think. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3 for 4. It talks about Paul, a Jewish believer, is talking about the Israelites, how they all baptized in the water with Moses. And he says this, they all ate the same spiritual food. That would be manna, correct? And drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. He is the Word, the Word made flesh. I believe Yeshua was that rock that was with the Jewish people giving them water. It has to be. There's no water in the desert. How about giving direction? How did God give direction to the Jewish people? How many of you guys have like a GPS device or something on your phone that you use? Last March, I was supposed to go to Colorado Springs, and somehow I ended up at the Colorado Zoo. I barely missed this meeting. I had like three minutes before I had to start. You guys, we have the perfect GPS The perfect GPS, it's the Holy Spirit. And when we rely on that and not on people's opinions or what other people think or what the world is saying, yes, it will guide us into truth and righteousness. John 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you, what is yet to come? I listened to that Holy Spirit in 1997 when I became a missionary of the Jewish people. 
My family thought I was crazy. Your Michigana, my friends thought I were nuts. I was a CPA. I was making really good money. I had a seven-bedroom home right next to Adley Stevenson. He read for president in, in the 50s. I mean, it was a beautiful home. And the Lord called me out into missions. And I followed that Holy Spirit. And I have no regrets. Sometimes when I pay my bills, I have regrets. <laughs> but I have led Jewish people to the Lord. I've encouraged Gentiles to reach Jewish people. And I'm gaining some great eternal benefits. Amen? Okay, the verse Leviticus 23.40 really drove the rabbis crazy. Because they didn't know how to follow this. It said, on the first day, you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Now, the rabbis came up with two things that we have on the Feast of Tabernacles. This is called an etrog. It means that which shine. It's a citron fruit. You can only get it in Israel. The rabbis say it's a good fruit because it smells good, it tastes good, and you can eat its roots. And I think the rabbis are so wrong. It's like a salty, bitter lemon. But it does smell good. And this represents our heart. Now, this luxuriant trees and palm branches and leafy branches, this is a lulav. And every Jewish home on the Feast of Tabernacles must have an etrog and a lulav to rejoice before the Lord. My father-in-law, he lives in Chicago, and he was going to a Cubs game. It was the playoffs, a miracle. They were in the playoffs. And he calls me up on his cell phone. He said, Greg, I, I saw the craziest thing. I saw these Jewish people on the corner of Clark and Addison, and they were in some, some type of tent or hut. And they were asking me if I was Jewish, and they were trying to give me a lemon and a stick. You must have these to worship the Lord on tabernacles. Every Jewish family, every night that they go in to celebrate a meal in the booth, I want you to stand up with me. I want you to follow me. We take, we reach our hands to the heavens and we shake three times. Baruch Sukkot. And we move, we wave three times. Go again, 90 degrees, three times. And then we're back towards the booth. Three times to the heavens, three times to the earth. Very good. You guys are all Jewish. All of them. I love this part of Feast of Tabernacles. Because one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your strength, and your might. And when we praise God, we're praising Him created the heavens and the earth. We're creating Him who created the whole world. We're thanking God that he's given us our heart and soul. There's also a palm branch, which the rabbis represent our spine. Without a spine, we can't move. So every time we move and have our being, we thank God. Every time we worship God with his word, this represents lips. And these tiny things represents our eyes or everything that we see. I'm going to take you back to like maybe November of 1991. I'm just a new Jewish believer. And I'm reading the Gospels. Now, it's Passover. But all these people have palm branches. 
wrong holiday. And they're waving these, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, the Son of David, uh, the King of Israel. And they're waving palm branches. And I'm thinking, that's stupid. Wrong holiday, guys. I don't think so. They were rejoicing before the Lord who was made flesh, who tabernacle with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and we're going to jump, jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I think that is so awesome that Jewish people had no idea they were worshiping God in the flesh, the one that tabernacles with us. Now, we're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacle when Jesus celebrates it. Jesus was a nice Jewish boy. He went up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And what he did in John 7, we find out it's the first uh, Feast of Tabernacle. Uh, in verse 2, it says, that says the Jewish Feast of Tabernacle was there. And then it says in John 7, 3, Jesus' brother said to Jesus, are you going to Jerusalem to show the miracles you do? You know, Jesus, don't do your miracles in Hialeah. Go up to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, Boca, something. Do it where they're seeing you, when they notice you. And then Jesus said something very interesting. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet come. And later on in the verse... He teaches in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, again, when I'm a new Jewish believer, I'm thinking, I know Jesus is the Son of God, and I know he's the Messiah, but is he a little wishy-washy? He says he wasn't going to go. Now he goes because he said, my time has not yet come. And he said that before. If you look at John chapter 2, at the wedding of Cana, this guy runs out of wine, and Jesus' mother gets involved, and Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. We want to be like Jesus, right? Why, if my wife asked me to take out the garbage. Why can't I say, Woman, my time has not yet come. <laughs> Amen, right? But, so what is, what is this time? We see this in John 17, verse 1 through 2. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour or the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, for you grant authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. That's the life, death, burial, resurrection. That's Jesus' modus operandi. That's why he came to this earth, so that he would become sin and the rights of God is in us through him. Okay. John seven thirty seven. I'm going to read this to you. This is during the Feast of Tabernacles. It says, on the last greatest day of the festival. That's called the Hoshana Rabbah. That's the great day. That's the Olympic closing ceremonies. I mean, it's, we're having a conclusion here. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow through him. Now, 
If you know a little about the Old Testament, you know that water is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit, regeneration. Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovers over the water. Uh, priests usually would cleanse themselves with water before they made atonement. Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will put water on dry and thirsty land. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now, you need to understand what is happening here in the temple in John 7, 37, because there's something called the water drawing ceremony. And it was pretty interesting because the high priest would go out with a pitcher. Now remember, the temple's packed, standing room only. He would go out the water gate on the east side. He'd go about a quarter of the mile. He would get the water from the pool of Salam. Now, why he's doing this, I think it might even be better than your worship here at Doral. They are worshiping the Lord with all their strength, with all their might. And they are repeating... Over and over, Isaiah 12, verse 1 through 3. I will pour out my water. Be self. There you go. I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. Jewish people want salvation. They want the presence of God. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. This is, what, this is the whole ceremony right here. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The high priest takes this, and he pours this out. Now, when he pours this out, Jewish tradition says you could hear a pin drop. Nobody says anything. We're praying that God's salvation would come upon me. And this water would pour out. Everybody's silent. People are watching the water come down. People are praying. You're in the moment of, Lord, I need your salvation. I want your presence. Lord, I want you to tabernacle with us. And Jesus stands up. And it says he cries out. He kind of messed that service up. <laughs> uh, they wanted to kill him. And then we see John 7, verse 52. They say to Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus? He came in John 3. A lot of theologians, and I personally believe that he is now a believer. Because he comes and he talk, comes about Jesus. And the Jewish people, the Pharisees, say, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you'll find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. Galilee is like a blue-collar town. It's just workers. They had their own dialect. Maybe they were kind of like, uh, you know, not too smart. So they're saying that nothing comes good from Galilee. Now, Jesus, in John 8, verse 12, I want you, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He is still at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, it says John 8, verse 1 through 11 is not in early manuscripts. That is above my pay grade. If you want to talk to Pastor Denville about that. But the point is, John 8, 12, 
Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Why did he say that? My kids would say, that's random, Dad. That's random. I don't think it's random at all. He says, I am the light of the world. What you're not seeing that the Jewish people would know is that he's answering their question, are you from Galilee? Because Isaiah, verse 9, 1 through 2, you guys will like this Messianic prophecy. It's for you, the Gentiles. But there will be no gloom for her who was in distress. Formerly he brought contempt to the region of Zebulon and the region of Naphtali. But in the future he will have made glorious the way of sea, the territory beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness has seen a great light. For those living in a land of darkness, a light has shined on them. Do you guys get that? You're no good. You're a prophet from Galilee. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Yes, he is the light of the world to the darkness. You have you've now seen the light. You've been walking in death, but now you have life. It gets better. Jesus would have been outside saying this after the water drawing ceremony, most likely, because, you know, they're coming to get him. Do you guys realize what was outside the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles? It was recorded in the Jewish oral law. It was the illumination of the temple. Now, you guys, I need your imagination caps on, okay? It's from kindergarten. You know, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that in this room are four gigantic pillars, okay? These pillars are 75 feet tall. Each pillar has four wicks, not wicks, really. They're old priest garments. So four times four is 16. There is 16 flames that go continuously during these seven days during the Feast of Tabernacles. This was before Florida Power and Light. This was pretty amazing. The rabbis say you could light up all of Jerusalem. And it symbolizes as God's light, God's glory, God's radiance is going out among the people. But there's a big problem. We don't, know where the, we don't know where the tabernacle is. God would dwell with the Jewish people on this Ark of the Covenant. It is gone. God is really no longer tabernacling with the Jewish people. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is that light. He is that radiance. He is that prominence. He is the one that shines in the world. Okay. Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that story? Peter, James, and John, they all go up there. And I love Peter because he always says the wrong thing. He always puts his foot in his mouth. I, I get that. And he says, there's, there's Moses, there's Elijah, and there's Jesus. And Peter's like, stop, I got a great idea. We're going to build three of these booths. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And why would he have that idea? In Zechariah 14, and before I get to the reason, I want to take you through this because this is amazing. I don't know if you guys ever read this. Zechariah 14, uh, verse 1, Jerusalem is being attacked by all nations, all Everybody's going against Israel. 
it says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against these nations. Who do you think that is? It's Yeshua, the Jewish way to say Jesus. Verse 4 is interesting. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. Mount of Olives, where have I heard that before? Oh, that's the same mountain that Jesus ascended. And he said he's coming back. And Zechariah 14 says it's going to split these mountains in two. I wonder if CNN is going to get that. Because I want to see that. That would be amazing. Verse 5, it says, The Lord my God and all the holy ones are going to come with him. Yeshua, Jesus, is coming back and he's bringing all the angels with him. Hallelujah. And verse 6 I really like because it's going to lower our electric bill. Really will. It says, On that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. Living water is going to come out of the Dead Sea. And I want to share with you verse 9 because it's really profound. It says, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, he will be the one Lord and his name, the one and only name. That is Hebrew here for Chad. Chad is one, but it's a plurality of one. You know, uh, Adam and Eve, God says they're Chad, one flesh. Wait a second, those are two. But God says he is a plurality of one. And Zechariah 12, 12 on, this is a real reminder you don't mess with God's chosen people. What happens, those that fought against Israel, uh, their eye sockets will rot. I don't want that. Uh, their tongues will rot, and the same happens to the animals. And panic seizes, and people start attacking each other. I read that, and I thought, man, what is this, the land of the zombies? I mean, people are going crazy, fighting against each other, but this is God's word. And here's my point. Why did Peter say, let's build booths? Guys, Peter thought when Moses and Elijah and Jesus was glorified, in his mind, the Lord had returned. He had set up his kingdom, but not yet. And he thought of probably Zechariah 14, verse 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. That's this. And all the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty. They will have no reign. Aren't you glad you're learning about this now? All the nations that come and they do not worship on the Feast of Tabernacles, you're not going to get rain. Okay, this is a harvest holiday. And I love this time of year because Jewish people are thinking about spiritual things And this is really a last great harvest for the Jewish people. In fact, it's interesting, the Jewish community, what happened about four years ago, the Jewish community went to the Pew Research Center, said, we want to know about the demographics of the Jewish people. So they did this study independently. And in that study, there is 1.7 million Jewish people who believe in Jesus. 1.7 
It's amazing. Thank you, Lord. There's more Jewish people that believe in Jesus now than in the last 2015 years. And I want to ask if you guys, if you want to get out this brochure real quickly, and uh, if you want to tear this, uh, if you don't get our newsletter with chosen people, or if you'd like to just fill this out anyways, um, I hope that you would fill this out to stay abreast how to witness to Jewish people. It's a great way to get my prayer letter, and you can pray for the things that God is doing. Uh, we are reaching Jewish people. Last March, I did a, a Christ in the Passover in front of 250 people in Boca. It was a church that I'd done many times before. It was a, you know, and I've done the Christ in the Passover, Pastor Denville, maybe about 1,500 times in my life. So I got up to speak. I literally did not know what I was going to say. It wasn't funny. I was like, my God, I'm going to have to walk off the stage. And I just said, I said to myself, in my heart, I said, Lord Jesus, help me. I started to pick out some things on the table. It was probably the worst presentation I've ever given in my life. But the pastor was like, oh, that was so amazing. I said, do you know what happened? I said, uh, yeah, I was pretty tired. I'd do a good job. He said, no, four people accepted the Lord. I said, hallelujah. And that was the enemy attacking me so much to stop. But here's why I really think the enemy came. I was at my table back there, and this Jewish kid filled out this card, said, I don't believe in Jesus, but I want to meet with you. I have to talk. Guys, this has never happened to me in 18 years of ministry. No Jewish person comes up and says, I want to hear about Jesus. His name was Seth. He was 23 years old. We met for four months. The kid was very smart. His first question was, can you explain the Trinity? I'm like, oh, vey. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> but after meeting with four months, I gave him this book called Isaiah 53 Explained. This is one of our best resources that we hand out free to Jewish people. And Seth read this. And the next time he came with me, he goes, Jewish people don't have atonement. They don't have a temple. How do they atone for their sins? There's no temple. And that day he prays to receive the Lord with me right here in Barnes and Nobles in Boca. And uh, I'm a little mad at him right now. And I'll tell you why. He got baptized and he didn't even tell me. I'm really upset I would have gone. But we are trying to reach Jewish people uh, for the gospel. Also, the high holidays is a great time. We have services. And they're free for Jewish people. What you guys don't realize, if you're Jewish and you want to go to temple on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, it's $500 to walk in the door. You have to pay to pray. And I'm so glad that with chosen people, we have free services that Jewish people uh, could go to. So, um, Pastor Denville has allowed me to receive an offering. I have a, um, a box back there. I would love for you guys, if you're led by the Lord, to give to reach Jewish people in South Florida. South Florida has the second largest Jewish population in the United States. And we're doing this one-on-one -on -one through Bible studies or going to churches. So I hope that you might fill this card out. If you're led by the Lord, if you want to give to help me hand out tracts for Bible studies to reach Jewish people for the gospel, if you would like to fill this out and stand with me monthly, there's a place that you can fill out a debit card. That would really bless my ministry. Um, finally, I want to encourage you guys something. 
I got a whole bunch of free Jewish stuff. <laughs> you just take it to the right of the table. And I really hope that you can take one of these tracks. Guys, this is the best time to reach Jewish people. They're actually thinking about God. And you just take one of these things and you're like, oh, I could never give this to my Jewish friend. I would insult him. No. Here's what you do. You say, Mr. Greenberg, I picked this up at church. It's about Jewish prophecy. I'm having a hard time understanding it. And I was wondering, you being Jewish, could you read this and help me to understand this? You will reach Jewish people. They'll throw it in the garbage if you just give it to them. But if you appeal to their sense of helping or their sense of pride in the Bible, they will read this. So, anyways, it's always a blessing to be here and... I'm just going to close with a prophetic word. I don't know what, Pastor. Every time I come here, and I don't do this always in churches, hardly ever, but the Lord really laid on my heart that God is reigning in our hearts, in our minds, in our activities, in our choices, in everything that we do. God is reigning with people here in Doral Vineyard. He's reigning, giving us the mind of Christ He's guiding us to truth and righteousness. To every minute detail in our life, he is reigning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.